You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. I met a guy this week, a guy um, that I'd not seen for a long time, and uh, he, he just really encouraged me, and I thought, I've got to tell this story to you. Um, he said, Pete, I don't know if you remember, I, I started a church before this one down in Hillingdon, and he said, I turned up and I wasn't really very keen to come. And uh, I used to make some notes when you were preaching. He said, but I only ever wrote them in pencil because he thought, oh, I thought it was a load of rubbish and I'm just going to get rid of it when I get home. And, uh, and he said, I just want you to know the word of God changed my life. And he now volunteers for the church. He's been volunteering for the church for the last three years. He gets involved every week. And as I was preparing, I thought, you know, we, we read the Bible every Sunday, but this could totally transform our life. And so I'm going to pray that we'll have that kind of meeting this morning, and then I'm going to speak from the Word. Father, I thank you. This is your living Word. Lord, some of us may have heard this story before. Some have never heard it. We pray all of us will hear from you. I pray that we don't come this morning just with a pencil to think, I'll jot a few notes down, but they won't last. I pray that you'll write something on our heart that challenges us, stirs us, impacts us, makes a difference for your glory. Amen. Great, if you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four accounts in the New Testament, the second half of the book, uh, the Bible, about the life of Jesus. I'm going to be reading about Jesus calming the storm. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. (laughs) I just think this story to me is mind-blowing. Verse 35, it says, that day when evening came, they decided to set sail. We know that Jesus had spent the day teaching parables. This was stories. He'd been on the west side of the Lake of Galilee telling these stories. The crowd was so large that that they couldn't all get to Jesus. So what Jesus had actually done is he'd climbed into a boat and they'd pushed him away from the shore so that people could see him and hear him. And he'd spent a whole day teaching from a boat to the crowd. These are these parables. I would say that this verse is then pivotal because what it says is Jesus said, it's almost like, I have told you, now I'm going to show you. I have said some amazing things to you. Now you're going to see something incredible. I used to be a primary school teacher. And the reality was that I knew this that with my kids. When I told them something, they would forget it. If I got them to see it, they might remember it. But if I got them to do it, they would understand it. 
And that's a, a principle that I think Jesus is saying to the disciples here. It's almost like, I don't want you just to hear something. You're not even just going to see something. You're going to do something that means you will totally understand. You know, if, if this was a, a film that we were watching, you know, up here, the music would start picking up. You know, it's, there's going to be some action. We've heard the words of Jesus. We're now going to discover something about the wonder of Jesus. So he says to the disciples... Let us go over to the other side. These guys, they're used to sailing. You know what I'm saying? This is not exactly what it was like, but it's just as I thought it might have been. Many of these disciples were fishermen. Four out of the 12 were fishermen. They were used to being on boats. Jesus initiates this move. He was always keen to go somewhere else, keen to tell somebody else this news. I guess the challenging thing is, The disciples went because Jesus told them to, and they still hit a difficult time. And some of us, if we're really honest, we've been to church and we think, well, if I obey Jesus, it will always be easy for me. This is not Jonah. Jonah, if you know, was a character in the Old Testament that God told him to do something. God said, go this way, and he thought, I don't want to do that. He ran the other way. Then he hit a storm. And we can think, oh, you only get a storm when you're running away from God. But actually, the disciples were obeying God. God had said, come on, Jesus, let's get in the boat, let's go. You might be sat here today thinking, golly, I thought life would be easier. I I thought I was obeying him. Why is it like this? Well, I guess we can learn some lessons from this story. They basically decide they're going to cross this lake Now, I don't know which point. I do know that the lake is 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. I do know that they'd been on the Jewish side. They were going to cross over to the Gentile side, the non-Jew side. I do know that many of these, as I said, were fishermen. And so actually, they were really experienced. Jesus could say, come on, lead the way. Then we read in verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him along just as he was. Some have suggested... That because he was already in the boat, that he never went back to the shore. And this is what it meant. Just as he was, it's almost like he's been teaching, he's been working up a sweat all day. And rather than saying, I'll come back, and it's like, come on, let's just get in the boat, let's go. They found a boat around the Lake of Galilee in 1986. It had been submerged in the mud. They don't know, but if they took the proportions of that, they think it was the kind of boat Jesus would have been in. It would have held about 15 people. So Jesus and the disciples would have been pretty much max capacity. It was 26 feet long. It was seven feet wide. It was about four feet high. And so there was this sort of boat that they discovered. And they were saying, oh, maybe that's the kind of thing that Jesus was in. However, we read a furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat. So they were nearly drowned. This was not a storm in a teacup. We can often think, oh, golly, was it just a little thing and it was all getting out? This, this was massive. The Lake of Galilee is 696 feet below sea level. It is very low down. The lowest body of, of water, fresh water in the world. Around Lake Galilee are hills and mountains. And what you tend to find is as, as the cool air comes in, it hits, it hits the hot air, and you get these massive storms. 
In fact, in Arabic, they are nicknamed sharks because literally they come in with such a bite. In those days, people tended to go fishing in the morning or at night because in the afternoon, you would get these terrible storms and you wouldn't want to be out there during the afternoon. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm not a great sailor. Sometimes I think I can get seasick in the bath. You know what I'm saying? I suddenly think, these fishermen, though, they knew what they were doing. And here they are, suddenly panicking. It's nearly swamped. This was like a a near-death experience for these guys. In fact, if you read, and I'd love to, you know, spend the whole day, if you read Mark 5, all of them are near-death experiences. He then goes and there's this guy that's been in chains. That's where is he? He's amongst the graves. There's this sort of death experience. There's this woman that's been bleeding for years. Many would say that she was like a a living death. You know, her life was such that she was ostracized. There was the girl in Mark 5 that had died. There's suddenly this squall, this terrible situation that comes up. I don't know how many of you have heard of a girl called Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tarder. She was an um, American girl, and she was, she was standing on a pontoon on the beach. And she dived in to go for a swim, but unfortunately hit the bottom and broke her back. And from then, she spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair. I always remember my parents had one of her pictures on the, on the wall, because she used to be able to draw with a, picture, a pencil literally just in her mouth. And she'd draw these pictures. Incredible testimony. She said, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. It's almost like the disciples, they were suddenly hit in this storm. And you think, God, why was that? Even this morning, you might have thought, man, Pete, what I've been through this week, it just feels like this terrible storm. Why? Where is God? Well, we find out, don't we? In verse 38, it says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. It's almost like he, the boat's going down and he's relaxed. I mean, he doesn't seem hassled by it at all. I love the attention to detail that we get. We think that the Gospel of Mark, he relied upon Peter, the disciple, for his source of information. And it's almost like he's throwing him these lines. Yeah, it, it's not Titanic. It's not like, you know, they're out at the front of the boat. We think Jesus was in the stern, which was, would, would have been in the back. We're not sure if this was a cushion that was there for those that were considered privileged and the special guest. Or one commentary I read this week said, actually, it was a bag of sand that really was ballast to stop the boat going over. All we know is Jesus was in the back, fast asleep. Jesus was tired. Mark has already said in the gospel 20 times straight away. Straight away, straight away. So, I mean, it was busy. It was manic. It was really going. Jesus had fallen asleep. Now, was it physical tiredness? There could have been. I want to suggest, though, actually, there was spiritual rest. Jesus knew the plan of the Father was not for him to die on the bottom of a lake, but to die on a cross. And so despite the fact that he was in this storm, he he must have thought, golly, I know that I'm in the Father's hands. There was a confidence in God, even when he thought, what's going on? I want to ask you, 
How courageous are you when things are rough? We can all be courageous when things are calm. When, when life is going as we think, <laughs> man, I've, I've just got this thing sussed. But when it's not going as we think, when it feels like I'm in the midst of a storm, how do you cope when it feels like Jesus is asleep in your life? You know what I'm saying? You're calling out and you think, Jesus, Jesus, are you there? Are, are you there? Are you asleep? This is what the disciples were facing. The disciples wake him, don't they, and say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? You see, they panicked in their ignorance. The wind and the waves made the disciples forget the identity and the mission of Jesus. Yeah? Suddenly this thing goes on, and they think, don't you care? What do you mean? Of course he cared. The Bible tells us that God loves so much that he sent his only, one and only son to die for us. Why? So that we could know God, so that we could be saved. Why on earth were they saying to Jesus, don't you care? Because they'd looked at the wind and the waves and suddenly they thought, what's going on? Look, I don't want to knock anyone, but I'm just aware myself that in the difficulties of life, we can look up at God and say, don't you care? In the pressures, financial pressure, health pressure, emotional pressure, we can feel it. Oh, God, if my kids are not doing like I thought, my health is not as good as I was hoping. God, don't you care? That's what was going on here. It was this storm, wasn't it? I don't know what you're carrying today. I don't know whether you're crying out, God, don't you care? I know myself, the challenge of hardship often robs me of my knowledge of Jesus. I thought it was going to be quicker, better, easier, sooner. And then we get what I love in verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. I mean, this is the Jesus I love, don't you? Yet we know from the Bible that God has control over all creation. It says it in Psalm 33. He gathers the waters of the deep into jars and he puts them into storehouses. It says in Amos, which is a prophet in the Old Testament, he who forms the mountains, who creates the wind and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the height of the earth. The Lord Almighty is his name. And so suddenly we get Jesus coming in this authority Whoa, he's actually in charge of nature. That's how great he is. William Lane, this was a commentator that I read this week. He said about Jesus, his sovereignty was demonstrated in the stilling of the roaring sea and the silencing of the howling wind. Why have we been singing? Why have we even thought whether it's internally or bowing down this morning? Because suddenly we think, this is our God. That's why, isn't it? He says, quiet, be still. Paul, when he was writing a letter to the church in Colossae, said in Colossians 1.16, For in him, that's Jesus Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He rules. Okay then, we can get excited about this in a moment. If you like, you're doing really well at sitting on it. I'm sure it will come through. If you're white British, this is a bit of a challenge to us because historically, we've sung rule Britannia. Britannia rules the waves. But that is not true at all. Our nation is not great. He is great. That is what the Bible says, isn't it? Some of you know that I'm really scared of dogs. Something that I'm sure many of you will start praying about and I will get sorted. But at the moment, they just panic me. The Greek phrase for what Jesus says here to the wind and the waves would have been what a master would have said to its dog. In the Greek, it would have been something like this. Hush, be muzzled. I like that, don't you? You know what I'm saying? You, 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 suddenly this owner just says, sit, obey. And I'm thinking, man, they've got that dog under control. I'm okay now. Well, Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves like that. I've got a friend who's got a really well-controlled dog. It's amazing. You go walking and I'm chatting next to him and the dog sort of comes in between. He just wants to be at the friend's heel. That's brilliant, isn't it? Well, it's almost like Jesus is demonstrating that kind of authority over the wind and the wave through this. Jesus literally speaks a word and it dies down. It says the wind died down. It was completely calm. I mean, I love this, don't you? Mums can wipe away a kid's tear. An engineer can come and fix your boiler. A surgeon can remove your disease. But Jesus can control all of nature. I mean, that's phenomenal, isn't it? This is a nature miracle. It's incredible. This is our God, isn't it? This is our God. And so if we're really honest, when we turn up here this morning, we think, great story, Pete. I'm going through a difficulty. Ask him to shout. Be quiet. Be still. Ask him to say, hush, right now in my troubled heart, in my mind, in my body. Ask him. We will pray for people at the end of this morning. Because this is our God. But I tell you what, I've not really treated you fairly. Because if you look at the Bible, it doesn't finish where I finished. So if you've got your Bible still open, I finished on verse 39. But the story doesn't. The story says here in verse 40, he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Oh. You see, the question is here, why do we struggle to believe? This is the first time that Jesus confronts his disciples. It is not the last time. And do you know what? He doesn't confront them about a lack of knowledge. He confronts them about a lack of faith. He doesn't say, well, actually, you know, if you'd have read that, you'd have known. He says, why don't you believe? Right now, I mean, if, if, if I was really honest and I just asked a simple question, do you believe God answers prayer? I imagine 95% of the room put their hand up. So, yeah, I do. And Jesus might say, well, then, how do you pray? How often do you pray? Oh, oh, golly. He challenges us not on what we know, but on, on are we believing? 
I can say this now because the offering pot's gone and you may well have forgotten it by next week, but maybe God will speak to you. Do you believe that God provides all your needs? So do you honor him with your finances? Ah, because it's not about our knowledge. It's about do we believe? That is what he challenges us. They are his disciples. They are in the boat with him. Jesus is not pointing the finger at those that don't believe. He's challenging those that are in the boat. I told you it was a 26-foot boat. It only contained 15 people. These were his disciples. I would say I became a disciple of Jesus Christ when I was just a young boy. I said to my parents, I realize I've done wrong against God. I want to say sorry, and I'd like to live for him. That was my own choice. It wasn't because of my parents. They'd brought me up in it. I came to a point where I believed. And that will be true for many here. Some of you may never have come to that point. But he's speaking to those like me that said, I do believe. You see, the challenge is they feared. And the antidote to fear is faith. It's the biggest command that we hear most repeated throughout the Bible. Believe, believe, believe. Donald English, you'd never have heard of these guys, but I read all their books and I think I, I almost feel like I owe it to them to, to explain. He's another commentator that I read this week. For the disciple, it should be enough to be with the Lord whether life seas are running smooth or not. He's almost saying, actually, to be with him is the most important. Just to engage with him. The Christian life, if I could use the pun, is not plain sailing. It's not, oh, we'll come to Jesus and he removes all your problems. You say, because I could read this and suddenly say, hey, this morning, Pete, declare over me, be still, be still, be still. But that's not the book of Mark. And you say, how do you know that? Well, I've read the book of Mark. And if you turn over in your Bibles, if you have one there, well, scroll down. On Mark chapter 6, where do we find the disciples? They're back in another boat in another storm. You know, Jesus says, go the other side. <laughs> and they probably think, oh, no, not again. And then it says, by the third watch of the night, they've been rowing and rowing. Hardened disciples, they suddenly... You see, I don't think following Jesus, he suddenly said, it's always going to be a mill pond for you. We'd like that. In fact, the Gospel of Mark was specifically written to the church that was under persecution in Rome. They were basically getting a tough time off the Roman emperor. I mean, literally, they were burning Christians at the stake. And so they wrote, this Gospel was almost written to say, actually, whether it's rough or whether it's smooth, keep strong. There is, right throughout this gospel, the question of, come on, where's your faith? Believe in him. I want to bring that challenge to us today. Our danger can be in Western Christianity that we think, oh, if I believe, my life will be smooth. Actually, if, if I just follow him, what will happen? My marriage will be better. My kids will be better. My health will be better. My money will be better. My life will be smooth. Whereas actually Mark was writing to the church that was being persecuted and said, hang on to him. Even in the storm, he is there with you. In Mark 6 verse 50, 
It's on the screen there. Immediately he spoke to them and said, this is Jesus, take courage, do not be afraid. He climbed into the boat with them. So Jesus calms the storm, but actually I would say he's in the storm. And what he really wants to say to us is, where's your faith? If I'm honest, I can think it robs me of faith. But he's almost saying, do you still not believe? It's almost like the longer you know him, the more we should trust him. And then we get the final verse. Verse 41. They, these are the disciples, were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. (laughs) Can you imagine it? I mean, they honestly thought they were about to die. They were hardened fishermen. I, I don't know about you, there's, there's lots of things I just haven't got a clue about. And if I haven't got a clue, I can just panic. You know, I'm saying, oh, golly, I, this, this is broken, it's never going to fix. I don't know. It's when the, the experts start panicking, you realize life is bad, don't you? Well, the experts had panicked. But actually, Jesus had come through and sorted it. And so the experts are suddenly saying, wow, who is this Jesus. You see, as I said, in chapter 5, despite there being the thread of death, Jesus has control over nature. He calms the storm. Jesus has authority over the demons. He sends them out of the guy into the pigs. Jesus is able to break the curse over the woman, despite having bled for 12 years. Jesus is able to raise the dead girl, because that's who he is. And so I would say that actually this is not meant to be just some uh, good physical story. This is almost an epiphany of who Jesus is. And if we stop and we look at the story, we don't just think, wow, you can do a miracle in nature. We think, wow, that is who Jesus Christ is. The saddest part of this is Mark chapter 6. I told you, I wish I could preach the whole of Mark this morning. Because in Mark chapter 6, it says, some still chose not to believe. What? He's just done all this. Mark's saying he's just controlled nature. He's just shown authority over the demons. He's just cured the woman. He's just raised the dead girl. And some too. I wonder where we are this morning. Maybe you are a guest or visitor. Have you chosen to believe? Who is this Jesus? This is a rhetorical question. We should all be on the edge of our seats by now, sharing it. He's Jesus. It's the Son of God. You see, I believe that, and obviously these uh, Gospels were put together with a sort of theme to help us understand something of Jesus. I believe that this is a picture of things that were to come. Jesus and his disciples are going around their everyday business. We discover this at the end of Mark. He's confronted, and many would have said in Jewish ways, so the, the Jewish people tended to be a people of the land, didn't tend to go out to the sea loads. Often in Psalms and that, the seas could be considered violent and, and chaotic, and it's almost God brought the peace. It's almost it could be a where the forces of evil could come against Jesus in the wind and the waves. Okay, Jesus here is asleep. asleep. We know later on that he is slumped. On the cross. 
But his voice still calls us to believe and not be afraid. Three days after the greatest storm one could ever describe, which surely is Jesus dying on the cross, the disciples being totally distraught, We thought he was the Messiah, and they killed him. Jesus stands up and says, be still, I've risen. There's almost this picture, isn't there? Wow, actually, I will be with you forevermore. It's not just a guy on a lake. This is a picture of a guy who actually brings peace forever. James Edwards, this is another commentary. I, can, I could show you these books. I guess I'm, you know, just, I find them inspiring. Who Jesus is lays a claim for what his disciples may become. You see, in this story we're looking at this morning, we understand something of who is Jesus. Well, if we understand who is, we understand something of who we'll be. Not because of us, but all because of him. Corrie ten Boom was a lady who was um, in Holland at the Second World War, and she hid some Jews. Her father was a watchmaker. She got caught, and her and her sister were sent to a concentration camp. Her sister died in the concentration camp. Corrie ten Boom survived, and she preached for many years afterwards. She said this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. She was saying that actually it's almost like in the storms of life will we look to him. This this is what this is all about. So we're just taking these weeks looking at Jesus. I want to bring a challenge to us right here, right now. I believe that there will be people here this morning, you think, Pete, I am in a storm. I need a miracle. We have a, a ministry team that will be here and ready to pray. There'll be lanyards. And you might think that's a physical thing, that's an emotional thing, that's a financial thing. You're looking for a job. You're in a difficult marriage. You're struggling with your kids. You feel like this is just a storm. Come and pray. We still believe that Jesus shouts, be still. For some of you this morning, if you're really honest, you listen to this and you think, If Jesus was here now, he'd probably challenge me on my lack of faith. I I, I want to put a a, a limit on it, and someone's saying, well, that's wrong. I would say if you've been a Christian longer than a year, how would Jesus say? Are you really trusting him? Am I? Oh, golly, you know, when I'm preparing this, I think, oh, Jesus, you know, help me to believe you. I'll be honest, I'm kneeling this morning because I think, Jesus, can I honestly say this morning, you are all I want? Is that really my faith? Then I think the challenge to us would be, come on, let's look to him. We're not trying to work up our faith, we'll look to him. Somewhere in the Bible, there's a story of a guy who shouts out to Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus doesn't say, not good enough. Away with him, chop off his head. He welcomes him. I tell you, will you cry out this morning and say, oh, Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus will stand with you. And maybe for some of you, you think, God, I've never believed. Actually, I realize I'm not even in the boat with Jesus. I realize I've hit a storm. Actually, I thought, hey, maybe you need to say, Jesus, for the first time, I want to say, I am sorry for what I've done. 
I'm sorry that I've lived my life my own way. Actually, I'd much rather live it for you. You see, this story, I would love us to be like my friend I met this week. We could just think, oh, great story. We're going to be looking at another one in a couple of weeks' time when I'm preaching then. Wow, Jesus, these stories are incredible. Or we could be thinking, this could totally change me. I know that Mark and Sandra are going to minister to us now. So why don't we just listen to what the Holy Spirit is going to say? Why don't we just take a moment to pause before they come up? Which is your response? Is it that you're in the storm and you need a shout? Be still. Is it your lack of faith and you've got to come and say, oh, help me believe more? Or is it you've never believed? Let's listen to the Holy Spirit right now. 